Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my delightful co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sitep. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. So we are excited today because we have a very special guest on. We have Katie Hunt on. She is the founder of Trade Show Bootcamp and the host of the podcast, Proof to Product. Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. I'm excited to be here. So excited to have you. So we're going to have you on because we are getting a lot of questions in our community about trade shows. So people are wanting to go wholesale with their product and um, sell wholesale. And a big question is, how do I get into stores? And there's so many ways, but one main way is business to business trade shows. Yeah, absolutely. I want to preface this by saying, I think a huge misconception that's out there is that people have to do a trade show to launch to the wholesale market. And I want to tell you right now, listeners, that is not the case. There are lots of different ways to have a successful wholesale business without doing shows. So um, I know back in the day when I started my product-based business in 2008, I felt the same. Like the only way I'm going to make this jump to wholesale is by going to a trade show and getting my products in front of people. Um, I think trade shows are a really, really great way to meet your audience, get feedback on your products. Uh, It's great exposure and visibility for your brand. But I do want to just calm any fears that, you know, people thinking it's the only way to sell wholesale and it's not. But I'm happy to dive into the logistics and tell you all the nitty gritty details you need to know about doing shows. Amazing. So will you tell our listeners a little bit about you and and your product business and that you're a host of a podcast and all the things that you do for product businesses? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Katie Hunt. And for about eight years, I had a stationary line called Kelp Designs. I started that in 2008, went to my first trade show and launched to the wholesale market in 2009. um, And I ran that business and was carried in stores throughout the nation and even a few internationally until 2016. Um, in 2011, I started Trade Show Bootcamp because, um, kind of jumping around here, but basically in 2009, after doing my first trade show, I wrote a blog post for a friend and it was five things I wish I had known going into the show. Like I just, there was a lot I didn't know. And I learned a lot during that show. And so the blog post, it didn't go viral, but I got a lot of emails every time show season would come around. And it was from people just like me, small businesses who were working from their home, wondering the same types of questions. How does this work? How much does it cost? How much product do I really need before I do this? And I would sit there and thoughtfully write everyone back one by one by one. And at one point I started to think, you know what? I don't have all the answers. You know, I I can tell my point of view and my experiences, but I have a lot of friends in the industry that have different points of view and different experiences. So I got some retailers together, some sales reps, other manufacturers, and um, we started our first trade show bootcamp courses in 2011. And it was actually teleconference calls for our first round um, because webinars weren't a thing then, you know? Um, And we basically focused on trade shows specifically at that point, which is why the company was called Trade Show Bootcamp. And it 
It was about how to get to a show, how to build your booth, how to talk to buyers, how to take the orders, all the logistics we needed to figure out. And most of us were figuring out on our own. And um, that eventually transformed into, we realized as we started to go through that program and get more and more people into it that like people didn't have their product ready. They weren't truly, they didn't have the foundation ready to sell to the wholesale market. So we created a program called Paper Camp, which is still our signature program today. And um, we talk about product development, minimum quantities, pricing strategies, sales tools you need for wholesale, like everything leading up to before you do shows. We still talk about trade shows at length. Um, that's still a major piece of what we do. And then we also talk about marketing and ongoing support and relationships with your buyers. So how to get in front of the right buyers, how to pitch your products in a way that doesn't feel slimy or salesy or like over the top. And um, so Paper Camp now runs as a conference and also as an e-course that's live. It's not something you do on your own. We have like group coaching calls every week and stuff. Um, so that is something we've had over 900 brands come through now at this point. And um, that's really where my passion lies. And then in uh, 2016, I was doing paper camp. I had my product-based business. Um, I was speaking and traveling all over the place to give presentations. And I also had my fourth baby that year. And I basically hit a wall at the end of the year and I'm like, something's got to give. And so I decided to go all in on Trisha Bootcamp because that was where my heart and my experience and my motivation was. And um, I was kind of at this point where I needed to either hire more people for bootcamp or hire more people for kelp designs. And I felt like I wanted to do the coaching more. And so I stopped manufacturing. I still have some licensing deals and I still do my art, but more for fun now. And um, through Trade Show Bootcamp, we have our paper camp conference. We have our podcast called Proof to Product. That's a weekly show. Um, and I also do, I have a mastermind and group coaching program that I own offer as well. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I do have a background in business. I worked in the corporate world for over a decade and I have two MBAs in marketing and finance. Um, so I have experience as a maker, as a product designer, um, and, and building that myself, but I also have the corporate background and the education too. And four kids. <laughs> that too. <laughs> yes. I, it was, I got to the end of the year and I was just like, I was wiped out, man. I, you know, I had done Eight, that was the year I taught my four creative live classes too. So, and I was very pregnant when I taught those and the end of the year, I'm like, okay, like I'm tired of, you know, going through airports with my breast pump and like talking to my kids on FaceTime, like I need to be home. So that was actually the catalyst that helped me create the podcast proof your product because I knew I could do that from home and still pick my kids up after. I feel like it's really similar to Jacqueline's story when she gave up Cuffs Couture. It was a matter of something's got to give and there's the time and the mind space and the physical, you know, being pregnant. Um, it oh, takes yeah. a toll on you. Yeah. But you know what? I felt so much lighter after I made those decisions because when you're spread so thin, you just you're not doing anything well. You know, I look back and I'm thinking, I felt like I was not doing my best as a mom. I felt like I was not doing my best as the leader of both my businesses. You know, there was just too much. I wasn't doing anything well at the time. <laughs> as I look back. It's, it's, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, we're, there's, we definitely have the ability to multitask, but when you have multiple businesses and yeah, one, two, four kids, whatever it ends up being. And depending on what kind of lifestyle you want, because we're working, we have our own businesses and we kind of also have that opportunity to make changes. So I, it's true. Like I also went from having 
I was, a, I was same as you. I had a service business and a product business and the product business was the thing that I um, transitioned out of. But if it was like this booming, crazy business that was doing exceptionally well, that might've been where I stayed and let go of the service part. But for me, at least with cuffs, like phones were getting bigger. And yeah. so it was just that it was starting to become obsolete and I either had to sort of change it and I didn't have the energy to energy to change it. It's not to say that I'm not going to come up with another product another day in my life, but right. it, it's a good time too when you know when you can call it and you're comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've been an entrepreneur now for over 10 years and looking back, I've had to make a ton of pivots over, over the years. And at the moment when you're going through it, it feels so heavy and so big and you're, you know, you're doubt yourself a little bit, but you're also excited for what's to come. And, but at the same time, all of those pivots have led me to where I am today and the impact that I've been able to make in other people's businesses. So I feel really good about that. Yeah. So you and I have a very similar experience in terms of having our own product business and doing the trade show life, which Me and I were recently at a trade show and I was like, I miss this so much because there's that <laughs> excitement too, right? Yeah. Yep. Like what's to come, like creating the booth and then what's to come and the potential of sales and and it's just different and the business to business. I remember if like anthropology walked into our booth, booth, it was like a celebrity store, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, That's why they turn their badges around because they I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you always have to be sus- suspect of the people who aren't wearing badges. You're like, Do you have another brand? So right. Let's talk a little bit about trade shows because you started the podcast with telling people that they don't have to do it, which is the the amazing thing that's happened in the world, especially in our in our realm of business, yeah. is that you do not have to do trade shows anymore. But why would someone opt to do a trade show? Yeah, they're hugely valuable still. I don't, I don't mean to deter people from that, but I just want to give per- people permission to do what's best for them. I don't ever want anyone to feel pressured into doing a show because it's a huge commitment in terms of time and money. So the benefits to doing a trade show are that you're face-to-face with your customers. You're getting that to build that relationship and see them face-to-face. You can ask them questions. You can do market research about who their audience is and what kind of products they need in their shop. You can, um, it's great marketing for your own brand. You know, telling people you're there has a visibility component of being seen and also looking like a bigger brand than maybe you are. At least that's how I felt at the beginning. Um, you're connecting with others and building relationships, not just with buyers, but I met sales reps at the shows. I met licensing partners that eventually purchased my art to put on other things. So I, other additional revenue streams came out of these shows. Um, press covered us and included our, our products and our booth and things in their publications and blogs. Um, and you're meeting other colleagues that are doing the same type of thing that you're doing, which is also very valuable. So when we talk about trade shows, I always tell people that you can never measure the success of your show simply based on the number of orders you get or the volume, you know, dollar amount of orders. It's not a you know, money in, money out situation because trade shows are just one piece of your larger marketing plan. And it's, um, you know, the benefits can pay off for years. I I like to tell a story. There was a guy that came to my booth for four years straight and did not purchase from me, but every year he would come in, he would ask thoughtful questions. I, you know, I knew he was, wasn't going to buy, but the, I think it was the fourth or fifth year he he placed an order and I was like blown away because I'm like, Oh, I had given up on him, you know? And the fact of the matter is buyers want to see that you're around for a while. They want to know that you're investing and building out your product line and continuing to invest in what you're doing. So there's a lot of benefits to being at the show. Um, However, everyone's goals are going to be different. You know, some people go in wanting to meet with a specific store. Some people 
want to meet with sales reps. Some people want the press component. So there's there's a lot of different benefits. I had a bit of a trade life business to consumer. So B2C versus B2B. And I think it's a very powerful way to make connections as well. That's ultimately for both, whether it's B2B or B2C, it's the connections that you're making that are really, you're walking away with. You know, it's, you're getting to see that person react to your product without even talking to you and getting to gauge how much they love it, how much they don't love it. That power of being in person really bonds you too. bonds you to your customer. also bonds you to those connections that you're making as people start walking in a booth and meeting sales reps or meeting um, a wholesale boutique, you know, buyer. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest things I took away, I had done accessories, the show with cuffs and a lot of hair salons walked in. So a big buyer at, at accessories was hair salons because there's always that place in a hair salon where they have gifts like jewelry, headbands, that kind of thing. Somewhere I never thought was a market of mine and they were there. Or I think we talked about anthropology or like Nordstrom. Sometimes you'll get buyers walking in the floor that maybe you can't connect with right away. And then they're walking in if they happen to glance at your product and come in that, like you said, is that connection. We just had a client um, that we masterminded with that she did a B2C trade show. So Mm -hmm. we're talking B2B, but she did a B2C trade show, but she actually ended up getting a B2B deal Mm -hmm. because a larger brand that was there for the retail component really loved. She kind of does the same thing like graphic uh, type stuff, saw her stuff, and then they are now collaborating together. So you just don't ever know the opportunities that are going to present themselves. But one thing I really want to talk about too is the cost because there's also a huge cost when you're doing the B2B trade shows that I remember I used to have POs that I'd write my purchase orders and I'd be like, okay, once I covered the cost, then anything on top of that would pay for production. And, you know, yeah. I was like, I have to make $5,000 or however much it costs to be there. Um, so how does, how do you, how do you consult your people on if that investment is worth it and how many times they have to make that investment into a trade show to sort of get the ball rolling? Yeah. So this has changed over the years. Um, but let me start first with your question about costs. So majority of our alumni exhibit at the New York shows, although this has expanded quite quite a bit over the last few years. Um, but I have very, I have a lot of stats about the New York shows. So on average, our alumni spend anywhere from seven to $10,000 to do the National Stationery Show. And they spend ten dollars to $12,000 on average to do New York Now, which is the larger gift show. Um, these shows have now since combined, they co- they're co- not combined, that's not their, uh, they've co-located. So they run concurrently, but they're still separate shows with separate show management and things like that. So um, Basically, the New York shows are more expensive. The Las Vegas show or Dallas or Atlanta, their fees tend to be lower. Um, but the way it's factored in is by square footage. So um, one one reason that the stationary show is less money than New York now is that they have smaller booth sizes. So the smallest booth you can get at stationary show is 60 or 80 square feet, whereas at New York now, the smallest booth you can get is 100 square feet. And I don't mean to boil down into these nitty-gritty details, but they matter because it, it, it adds to your budget. And if you don't need that extra space too, um, you know, basically when you're going to decide which show is right for you, you want to think about budget. You want to think about which buyers are attending that show. Um, You want to think about which other exhibitors are attending that show. And you want to make sure that it's a good mix for you. Uh, To your point, Jacqueline, earlier, um, 
you know, there are people like car washes that walk the New York Now gift show. And there's some of the best buyers for greeting cards and paper for my audience. And and people are always surprised by that because their their goal is the anthropologies and the Nordstroms and the independent boutiques that specifically sell paper goods. But the fact of the matter is florists and cupcake shops and car washes, like those kind of people need cards too, or other products if that's what people are selling. Um, so you want to make sure that whatever show you choose has the right mix of people and um, exhibitors and buyers that are going to be there. So, yeah. So another thing to think about when you're thinking about your booth size, and we talked about this on the Pura Vita episode where he just, he was able to take over a table with someone that he worked with. So when you're looking at trade shows, sometimes they let you share the booth with another brand and sometimes it's an individual brand, yep. right? Which means yep. that you have to take the weight of that cost. And then can your product fill that space? So you talk about square feet, but I know oftentimes it's like eight by 10 booths. That's the smallest. Um, What do you do with all the walls? And like, do you just have a table and how do you sort of fill that space and make it and make it presentable. And if any of you have ever walked these trade shows before, you'll see um, some that are built out, like you're physically walking into the store. Uh, Amazing. They've spent thousands and thousands of of dollars on building these like portable stores out. And then you see people who have just the tables that are supplied and their stuff is kind of flung in areas. And then there's the in-between with people that are sort of working it out to present in a beautiful way, but they're also doing it in a smart way, a way that they, cause like I, I rented a minivan the first trade show I did and I drove to Vegas and like had these wall panels in the minivan and you know, all these things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you suggest? I mean, in terms of all that. Well, there's so many different options um, that you can do to create your booth. There's hard walls, there's paper walls, there's fabric walls, there's all these different details. um, And all of them kind of, they're stepping stones for the next thing, right? Because if you have hard walls, you can display product in a different manner than if you had like thin paper walls. So my goal with everybody I work with is to help them build a booth that really mirrors their brand and fits their budget. So I always tell people, go into this with a specific budget in mind. And then we need to prioritize. First, we need to educate ourselves on what the different components of creating this booth are. And then we need to prioritize what's important for you. Just like at a wedding or when you're remodeling your home, like maybe the flowers are important to you. Maybe the paper is important to you. Maybe the food is important. You know, you as the exhibitor also have to decide what is going to be most important to you. Um, But ultimately everything needs to be highlighting your product in the best possible way. And so you always want your, your products to be the hero of your booth. I've seen people that wanted to put chandeliers in their booth or like have this beautiful ornate display. And I always tell them, does that like highlight your product in the best possible way. Will that sell your product? Does that represent your brand in the best possible way? If not, take it off the list. Because to your point, Jacqueline, like you can have a beautiful booth without breaking the bank. Now, I do not recommend that people use what you're given for the show. Like it's usually like some dreary um, curtain and maybe a table and a chair, and it's not going to represent you and your brand. So you do want to make sure that when people come by that they can clearly... Um, recognize your products and your brand. Um, so there's, there's a lot you can do to dress up your booth without like breaking the bank, but, um, it kind of, it's so individualized. That's why we go through all the details during our course. Cause what works for me may not work for you, but I definitely, the, the focus, the areas to focus are making your products a hero, making sure that your brand stands through and, um, that you're sticking to that budget. So if you do decide to go over in one area, make sure you're cutting back in another area. I know that sounds pretty obvious, but it's important to monitor that budget all the way through. 
Yeah. There's so many details to think about. And then like the, the bringing things in and shipping them back out. So whether you're driving it, physically driving it into your, you know, into the space, because again, I lived in LA, drove things to Vegas. Um, New York's a bit different. I mean, I've walked all over the streets with like signs that I got copied at, at King, when it was Kinko's, you know, like yeah. I, would, I would send the artwork to this town I was in, I would print it and I would take it then because it was cheaper than shipping it or whatever it was. So at what point do you suggest somebody try it? Like, do they have to have, you know, $12,000 sitting on hand to do a booth or what do you think they should, how do they address that? I do like to, I don't like it when people come and tell me, okay, I'm going to put everything on a credit card. To me, that just feels way too risky. So I do, I do recommend that people are in business for a little while, like a year or two before they jump into shows. It gives you a chance to like go through the sales process and the fulfillment process and making sure that you've got your wholesale ducks in a row. Um, but I do want you saving for it. You don't have to have the whole chunk of change like sitting in a bank account, but I I don't think it's a wise business move to put everything on a credit card and then just hope and pray that you're going to make it back. I feel like, you know, you need to be strategic in that. So I, I do recommend that people save up for it, just like you would save up to design a new website or to, you know, run a new run of products. Um, so perhaps they research the shows and kind of dig into what the costs will be for different shows, where they are, if you're going to travel there, you know, logistics yep. and probably plan that out. So knowing knowing the dates um, that they happen. So if it's a year from now that you think you can get to the New York show, then you're going to know that a year from now is when you're going to maybe launch. I feel like a lot of people now go B to C and then they want to go B to B, which before it used to be B to B and then, and then trickle down to C. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it might be that you're working and you're trying to build your brand and then you're getting, you know, followers and whatever it is. And then you go B to B and your plan is that because that's, what's going to, I still think wholesale is like the bread and butter in a way. Like it's your, it's your in-between, it's your filler. Yeah. And we have people that plan for months for shows. And then we've got people that do them after a couple of months and there's no wrong way to do it. It's just what fits for you and what time you have and what budget you have. So one of the things I give credit to for attending trade shows and being part of the trade show life is it's a crash course in sales and pitching, (laughs) whether you want to or not. It's kind of like, pushing yourself out there to talk to these people. Do you have any tips for when a buyer comes into a booth? Like what should you say? You know, what should you not do? And um, any tips on that? Yeah. Body language is super important. So don't stand in the corner on your phone. Don't stand with your arms crossed, looking down, you know, greet people that come to your booth. But at the same time, don't also hover over them and ask them a ton of questions. I usually like to welcome people to my booth and stand like to the side so that they can walk around and look at things. And then I ask, what are you looking for at the show this year? Is there anything in particular you need help with? And, or just simply saying, if you have any questions, let me know. Buyers like they want to know that you're attentive to them and you're paying attention, but at the same time, they don't want to be bombarded with like, how can I help you? What do you need? Do you want to write an order? You know, like it's, it's, it's too much. And they're walking these shows. The days are long for them, just like they are for the exhibitors. And so you want to give them some space to look around. The other thing I'd say is like, don't be on your phone. Like I said, don't be eating your lunch in the booth if you can help it. Um, I know these things sound um, like common sense, but I've seen some pretty bad behavior on the show floor. I mean, I've seen exhibitors chase buyers down the aisleways and, you know, I just be professional, be polite and remember that they're just regular people like you and I. Yeah. So I had an event that I went to this past weekend and somebody was like, Hey, how's that podcast going? And I literally gave them stats. I was like brand vomit (laughs) on them. You do not want to do that. Obviously he was the first person that asked me how it was going. (laughs) But so that's, 
what you don't do to a buyer yeah. because for anything, you don't want them to feel like, oh my gosh, this is too much. Sometimes it is too much, but you do want to be attentive and you do want to acknowledge that they're there and you want to make a connection, but you don't yes. want to force it on them because it is a long day. And in terms of like specific things to tell them, they're going to ask what's new. They're going to ask what your minimum opening order is. They're going to ask what your MOQ is, your minimum order quantities for different products. So you do want to be ready with those answers, but you don't want to just start spitting all those things out at them as they walk in. You know, give them some space to look around, let them know that you're there to answer questions and then, you know, let them kind of come to you. And depending on what you're selling, there might be some education on the product. So, and I'm exactly what you said is how I consult my clients. So I had my booth. I was never sitting down and like looking down, right? I was usually sitting, standing somewhat to the corner of my booth so they could still sort of see if someone was in there. Great. I'd be interacting because people bring people. Oh yes, they do. (laughs) Then I just get some friends to stand in there and look like they want to (laughs) buy. Yes. But, um, and then I, and then they would walk by and they'd kind of look, right? So that's like that warm type lead. And I'd be like, have you heard about Cuffs Couture? And then if they responded to me, no, I haven't. Well, come on in. Let me just, let me tell you a little about, bit about it. I'd be yeah. wearing it. I'd open my cuff. I'd show like, look, it could hold your ID and your credit card and da, da, da. And go ahead and take a look. And that would be the, if I got them in, then I'd let them sort of look around. And then I would, you know, I wouldn't check out. I'd be waiting if they had a question. Yeah. You need your elevator pitch at the beginning, you know, to let them know what, especially if your product needs a little explanation, then have your one liner that tells them this is what we do and this is who it's for. Um, but if it's something that people already understand, then I would let them wonder a little bit, let them know you're there if they have questions or it's a good, you, you want to reel them in. So you can also say, we have a show special where we're, we've reduced our opening order amount, or if you purchase this amount, then you get, you know, free product with purchase or whatever. Whatever it is, find a one-liner. Don't bombard them with too much information, but find one thing to kind of pitch them. Do you have any tips for the follow-up? I feel like that gets forgotten. In oh the- my gosh. Yes. I, I'm glad you brought this up. I always recommend people bring a notebook with them. And I know this sounds so antiquated, but you guys, this is like the most simplest and easy way to do this. And there are tech, there's technologies that you can use, but for right now, just bear with me here because this works and it works well. Get a notebook. When they give you your business, ask for their business card before they leave the booth, staple the business card into the notebook, and then jot down as many notes as you can about what they talked about. Like if they were talking about their glasses or their pet, like personal things, if they were wearing something really cool that you guys talked about and had a conversation, add that. If they looked at very specific products or picked something up, write down which products they were interested And then what I also do is I categorize each contact right then and there. So A's are people that you want to follow up with straight away. Like they're hot leads. They were definitely interested, but they didn't place an order. B's might be warm leads. They're somebody that, you know, after a while they'll probably purchase. C's are kind of cold leads or people that I just think they were more looky-loos. And then I also had D's, which was like other designers or business people that were cool and friends, but they weren't people I needed to place my follow-up time on. And then that way, when you get home, you can categorize these people and like do follow up with all the A's first. And then as time permits, do the B's and then, you know, if the C's need anything. But the A's too were also press that needed pictures right away. It was reps that wanted samples or, you know, certain brands come, or stores come around and they want samples before they're placed in order. So like anything that was kind of urgent and time sensitive, those were the A follow-up. So, but to your point, Mina, yeah, like follow-up is such a huge part of a show's success. And most people don't do it. And the reason they don't do it is because they come home from the show, they're exhausted. Their studio is a mess. They're like, 
they just want to take a break because they've been working night and day getting ready for the show. But the fact is the show is just one step on this journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so, um, you know, the, after the show stuff needs to be just as like, uh, just as strong of a priority as the lead up to a show is. And that means getting your orders out, but it also means checking in with the people you met, letting them know you're there, sending a catalog, sending details on how they can order and maybe extending your show special. If you have one, you know, there's lots of different things you can do. Um, and the other thing I want to mention about follow-up is it's never too late to follow up. I had somebody follow up in August. I think it was for a May trade show. And I know they were really worried. It was a client of mine and I know she was really worried about doing the follow-up months later, but she got tons of orders from it and her follow-up was very on brand. It was a sampling of her work and um, you know, your follow-up doesn't have to be a big to do. It could be a simple postcard or handwritten letter. It could be an email. It could be a tiered approach using multiple pieces like that. So definitely make time and build follow-up into your post-show calendar um, because it is extremely important. And if you're not following up, you are leaving money on the table. Mm -hmm. Because if you think you're tired, they're tired too, right? (laughs) So so it's it's both of you kind of have to come together at the right time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. that tactic, it's not. I, that's literally when I consult people on going to a trade show, stapler, a notebook, because people still do business cards. Oh, yeah. So there's also that exchange. And when somebody walks into your booth, they're, it's the same way that like you do an opt-in and they, you get an email for an opt-in. Same mm-hmm. thing. If they walk into your booth, you're going to ask them for their card or their information because if it's another designer scouting out your line, you want to know that. So they want to, you know. And secondly, you just want to make that exchange. If they're going to peruse, can I have your info? They say they don't have their card. Let me just write it down. Let me grab your email address. So make that exchange. I would also take notes, exactly what you said. And the thing I would do because my follow-up, because I am a quick start and my follow-up is like, whatever's the next thing, I would actually do it nightly. I'd end the show and that night I'd go back to my hotel room and I would do my follow-up because if the show was still happening and they were sort of like the idea was still in their head, I might say like, and if you want to come back by booth, da, 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 Yep. Back tomorrow or the next day, whatever. So if I could keep that conversation going with them in the moment, then maybe the next day they'd come back to the booth and purchase. Yeah. And then I got it off my plate. So then when I left the show, I had emailed everybody and I, my follow-up wasn't that I had to email all the stores that walked into my booth over the last three days. Yeah. So I did the same thing and I definitely captured many more orders because I did that. I did that for my A-leads and the B's and C's. I didn't do it as much. But the other thing is uh, before a show, I always recommend selling, sending out a mailer of some sort. It could be as simple as a postcard, but order extras of those with your booth number on it and put that in your booth because you can give that out to people at the show instead of a catalog or, you know, if somebody's kind of if, if they're not, I don't want to say if they're not worthy of a catalog, but there's certain buyers that are, you know, are more serious than others. And if it costs not, money to print, it those. does, it costs money to print all of it. So yeah. you want to make sure you're giving them out to serious buyers. And then too, those postcards could be used for post-show follow-up too. So you could, you know, I had people labeling stuff or writing those postcards in the booth when they had downtime and then sending them a week or two after the show. So um, when you're saying catalogs or line sheets, it's something that you have printed and you bring. And I used to bring like 25 to 50 is what sort of the amount that I was worth. I wanted to spend money on because each page was X amount. I had so many pages. And then I would tell people if they weren't A and they didn't want it walking away, I would be like, let me, I'll email that to you. And so I'd email them the line sheets and I didn't have to spend the money on that. The one tip I would give on the postcard is, especially if you're going to do a range of trade shows maybe that year and or that season, um, don't, I would print the 
booth number on like a sticker or a label. Yep. Right? And so that way you don't have like see me at the New York show booth 380 and then you want to use it at the next show. So if you're able, you're able to use it amongst other shows by putting on stickers. Yep, absolutely. Uh, point on the catalog, you definitely want, you must have a digital version of your catalog. Um, and the printed version, I have a lot of people that get by without the printed version, but we typically recommend 50 to 100 catalogs per show. Um, the other thing is, as you start to work with sales reps, you're going to need to print more catalogs. So um, we recommend people rerun their catalogs every 12 to 18 months because you're releasing new products, you know, throughout. So uh, when you are doing that rerun, just consider like all the different uses you're going to use for that catalog, not just shows, not just reps, but sometimes people do marketing blitzes too, where they'll send a couple samples or, you know, swatches of fabric and catalog and all that stuff. So think bigger on that in a way. Yeah. And make friends with fellow vendors. I think that's a huge thing. We see the patch guy every time we go to Las Vegas Magic, we go say hello. He remembers myself and Jacqueline, right? So I think it's just when you start making friends, that's another thing that you walk away with on top of you know the buyers and the sales reps. Those people know about the trade show life. They know the money it takes. They know they'll probably be there the following year. So eventually, like as the year goes past, you can touch base with them. You can collaborate with them. You can help lift each other up. So I think that's another huge thing. Yeah. There's the same people over and over and it's really great to be able to connect with them. Um, but at the same time too, you know, if you'd asked me this in 2009, 10, I would have told you that I wanted to see a brand do a show three years in a row or like consecutively three times before they took a year off because it just showed consistency and it showed that they were taking their business seriously and developing their product line and everything like that. However, I feel like things are changing because our creative entrepreneur world where people are spreading out more and doing a wider variety of shows. I don't think the continuity of the same show year over year is as important as it once was. Um, and, but I do think it's, what's more important in my opinion are the new releases, having new product on a regular basis. Um, and we recommend people release new stuff two to three times a year. So, so what are some creative things that you've seen in booth? (laughs) Anything that stands out to you? Yeah. Um, I like when people use their product as props. So um, Alex from Chez Garnier, she's one of our alumni. She does these wine tags um, that you would, they're gift tags basically that you hang over a bottle of wine and gift it. And she got, I think they were plastic bottles that she, uh, like wine bottles that she then spray painted. Some were gold, some were orange for different shows. She did different versions of this, but she spray painted them orange. And then she hung them on the wall, like all across the whole back wall, which is your statement wall. And she hung her tags on those. So underneath each bottle, she had her skew and her pricing and all the pertinent information that somebody needed to place an order, but they were displayed in a way that was really creative and showed the, the um, product in use. And, um, it also made for really fun pictures too, which can be shared by press or even just them on social. And budget-friendly, right? Yeah, yeah, budget-friendly. And she reused those, too, for several shows. Like I said, she painted them gold one time. She painted them orange one time. So uh, reusing it. And, two, the continuity with your booth, um, it's totally okay to have the same booth design for show after show because, again, that's building brand recognition. Um, You know, you want to make tweaks and improvements here and there, but um, and you will show after show because you'll find better ways to do things. But I think having some continuity and making sure that your booth fits your brand um, and is recognizable, it's very powerful. Another thing I tell you that's a kind of a quick fun fix is um, Lisa from Sapling Press created an order form where she had underneath the pertinent, like basic PO information of the like 
order form, like who's ordering and what before it got to listing out what products they were purchasing. She did a, um, cheat sheet of all of her typical products with their pricing and what their minimum quantities were. So greeting cards, it's sixes or 12 people are purchasing. And so she had, you know, the price times six, and this is the amount. So she could add things up pretty quickly. And so doing little things like that, uh, it makes a big difference because the, the show's buyers are moving fast. Some people don't even want you to total things up. So, um, you know, and now too, a lot of people are using online ordering systems like Handshake or Brandwise or even QuickBooks or Shopify. And those are great too. But one thing I caution you with that is just make sure you have strong Wi-Fi at your show um, or have a backup plan, um, whether that's hard copy, you know, forms for your taking your orders too. And keep in mind, even if there's Wi-Fi, sometimes these buildings are metal and there's a lot of interference. So I saw that a lot in the trade show life was sometimes I'd order Wi-Fi. This was back in the day, obviously. And um, it wasn't over your phone. People might be bogging it down at that particular time. So yeah, Wi-Fi at the show is unreliable and it's usually very expensive. And so, um, you know, I understand wanting to sync all that up with you, you know, your other systems, but um again, buyers want to move fast. And two, you want to make it easy. If you're working with somebody and another buyer walks in, you want to have a paper order form ready for them so that they could start to fill it out while you finish up with your other customer. If they have to go to an iPad and fill it, like they can't really do that themselves. So definitely think of everything through the buyer's lens of how can I make this simpler and easier for them? even down to how you display things. You know, I always use stickers underneath each product that showed the MOQ, the price, um, and the minimum opening order amount, just so it was very clear how much they had to spend with us um, to place that opening order or reorder. Yeah, the labeling is important. Like what colors, like for fashion, what colors it comes in, the delivery date on it. Um, Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but you want to make it that the buyer just has to really say yes. So you just kind of want to like just take decision fatigue off their hands. If you have a starter package, do you ever recommend starter kits or starter packages? I don't for my audience. um, Just because every buyer is so different and who they're catering to is different. I prefer to tell a buyer, okay, you'll have to purchase 10 SKUs to hit the opening order amount. And when they see the whole wall of product, they, oh, I can hit. You have the minimum order. So whether it's a financial like minimum that they have to hit, whether it's a quantity that they need to hit, but you guys need to figure this out before you get to the show and be clear on it. And then you let them make their decisions. And then, and I would say my biggest piece of advice is always get a signature. It doesn't count unless there's a signature, right? Would you agree? I do. And collect all the credit card information yeah. if, they'll, if they'll give it to you because um, otherwise you got to chase them down for payment. <laughs> so you typically want like a credit card authorization form and then you'll have them fill out their credit card and you don't bill until, depending on what you're doing, but usually we don't bill till you ship. Yeah. And then um, and you get their signature on that too. That way, if they sign the purchase order and they give you their credit card information and you go into production for them and you're about to ship and then something happens with the credit card, it's not working, whatever it is, you have like the legal right to say, Hey, this was a agreement that we made together and you owe me, you owe me money for this order that I made for you. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's after the, after the show, that's after the final rose. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any advice that you want to like one bit of advice you want to leave listeners with if they're deciding on whether they should do a trade show or not? Yeah, I I just want to tell them to focus on their product first. You want to have a unique product line with a you know distinct point of view before you start selling wholesale and before you jump into these shows. But if you have a strong product line and you know your sales tools are strong, meaning you have your terms and conditions laid out, your pricing is good. Um, you know 
then it's time. And you've also been selling wholesale for a while, you know, so you've started to build relationships and you've seen what that sales process is like in the fulfillment process. Then I would say you're in a more comfortable place to do a show. Um, but really I, I see a lot of people that want to jump in before they're ready. And while I love the enthusiasm, it is a huge time and financial commitment. And I would like you to be set up for success. And, and that means making sure all of the ducks are in a row before you go and take that leap. Yeah, hundred percent agree. So we like to um, wrap our guests with some fun questions, like rapid fire questions. Sure. Are you ready? Yeah. Bring all it. right. <laughs> so what is your coffee order? Uh, chai tea latte. It's not coffee, but a chai tea latte. From coffee bean? From coffee bean. <laughs> Sorry to tease you. I know you miss it. <laughs> the first time I least spoke to Katie, she had the purple straw and it's definitely like an LA uh, place if you're not familiar with it. And I was so jealous. I was like, what are you drinking? <laughs> okay. So what is the favorite thing on your desk? Mm. <laughs> it's well, I can't, I can't say. it's a mug from one of my alumni that has a not so nice word in it, but it basically says you're a magical unicorn. And I like that it's on my desk because one, it's filled with tea, but two, it just reminds me of the, like, it reminds me of my clients, but it also reminds me of the work I'm doing. So, so. sweet. <laughs> um, finish this sentence. When you pick up your phone, you probably look at Instagram <laughs> <laughs> Consistent for everyone. I feel, yeah, um, you wish you knew how to, Ooh, um, drive a race car. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what was the last show you binge watched? Uh, Grey's Anatomy. And then what should the title on your signature and your email actually say? I don't know. Probably something of like juggling a lot or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, what, oh, do you have an alter ego or a stage persona? No, I don't think so. I think I'm pretty much me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, do you want to ask the last two questions? Sure. Uh, what is your most used or favorite emoji? Uh, definitely the hearts or the kissing hearts face. Yeah, I like those too. And last question. We very much like to say that entrepreneur years are like dog years. You learn a lot very quickly. What would you say to baby Katie if you could tell her now something you know in your entrepreneur journey? Oh, I love this question. I would tell myself to trust the process. Just trust your gut, follow your instincts, do what feels right because you're on the right path. I love Thanks, that. Katie. So tell our listeners how they can connect with you. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm at tradeshowcamp.com. Uh, you can listen to our podcast at proof2product.com. And then you can find me hanging out on Instagram at proof2product or at tradeshowcamp. There's no boot in there, even though our name is tradeshowbootcamp, but it's tradeshowcamp.com. We'll put those links in our show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for the time today. I really enjoyed it. This episode is over, but it doesn't have to end. Head over to our Facebook group, search for the Product Boss Biz Community, or the link is also in the show notes. Come connect with other product bosses just like you. We'll see you in there. If you love the Product Boss Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, share, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, product bosses, let's make it happen.